Hello and welcome to Unofficial Partner, of the Sports Business Podcast. I'm Richard Gillis. We were at Leaders London this week and did a live session in front of a carefully selected audience of sport biz execs. The premise was simple enough. How can two amoral chancers like me and Sean build a new billion dollar sports property by cobbling together all the best bits from elsewhere and selling it on to private equity, venture capital, media sponsors or anyone else with deep pockets and a passion for sport? To make it work, we sought advice from no fewer than 11 very expensive experts from the unofficial partner WhatsApp group who came along to Twickenham with us. So you'll hear the following people over the course of the next hour. Matt Rogan, Richard Ayres, Michael Broughton, Sophie Hine, Jane Purden, Nick Howard, Patrick Massey, Gary Link, Giles Morgan, Murray Barnett and Alex Ingler. And we thank all of them for their contributions. If you want to see how the billion dollar brainstorm came about, you'll need to catch up with the Unofficial Partner newsletter, which comes out every Thursday. Subscribe via unofficialpartner.com. The first voice you'll hear is the one and the only James Emmett of Leaders in Sport fame. All right. Hello. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the Leaders Studio in partnership with Grabio. And welcome to what I am calling a performance art piece uh, brought to you by the team at the unofficial partner. Uh, Richard Gillis up here on stage is, is going to be the, um, the circus master for the next hour. And if nothing else, I think we're all going to be entertained for the next uh, 60 minutes. So, uh, Richard, thank you very much for uh, coming along and bringing... Um, this idea. That's right. Well, you, you did pay me to come, so that's... I felt, sort of. I felt sort contractually of. obliged. We paid you for an advertising deal, Richard. We didn't pay you to come. Thank you very much. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and with that, over to you. Thanks, James. Circus is probably right. Um, this could go one way or the other. Can I just... A very quick show of hands. Has anyone here listened to the Unofficial Partner podcast? Ah, you see. See, Sean, I, uh, they are real, some of these people. They are, Sean thought they were bots, the numbers in the... Uh, so this is all about making money and so we're, we, what we thought we'd do first of all we're going to make a podcast from this and Sean is my uh, co-partner and he's the sensitive editor and he's going to sort of cut what we do today into something that resembles audio gold now the question is how do we make money as fast as we can so we've done about 200 well this will be the 200th podcast near enough and we get a lot of people on saying this that, and the other we get a lot of private equity people we get a lot of sponsorship people a lot of data blah 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 a lot of tech this is the future formats all of that conversation it's really interesting in isolation i thought well let's try in an hour to try and bring that together create a frankenstein's monster of a sports property for the 21st century an entertainment product and away we go and a couple of things you should know me and sean are almost entirely amoral so we don't care if purpose works great we'll bring it in we'll wrap it in a purpose if it doesn't we might just sort of put it to one side integrity again sounds expensive costs paying people all of that is up for review we've got me on stage and then we've got three other seats i'd love for some of you to shout out and say what it is that you think in terms of, of just contributing to what we're calling the conversation you won't be heard because you haven't got a mic so you know it's a downside for you guys but First three on stage, we've got Richard Ayres, you'd like to join me up here. We've got Michael Broughton and we've got Matt Rogan. So give him a round of applause. So it makes it... <laughs> yeah, there, I'm, that's my one. So that's good. So people will know there's other people in the room and not just us three. So Matt Rogan, 
I remember a couple of years ago, actually, you know, it's more than that, it's probably about 12 years ago, I sat in a pub and you sort of bored on about, I've got an idea for a data agency and blah, blah. And I said, yeah, yeah. And then you went and did it and sold it and it became two circles and made millions and that was very irritating. Frame this for us. So the sports marketplace, where should we start? The end of this conversation is me and Sean get rich, okay? Who should we aim for? Who's the target audience? So, hi everyone, I'm the talking ball patch for everyone around that side of the room. It's audio. <laughs> <laughs> She's starting well. I'm quite fortunate in a sense in that I've, I've managed to take the last year or so out of this sports marketing, broadly white, middle-aged male echo chamber and, and get out and about and, and well, spend... welcome back to that echo yeah, chamber. Yeah, thank you very much. And, and spend time talking to... Um, to some other groups of people who engage with sport in this country and overseas, uh, having written a book. And the proposition I bring to this, I think, is that the people in this room are oversupplied with sports content products and money-making devices in terms of how they spend their leisure time. And so my hypothesis would be that, that we should spend time purposing something either for the uh, Gen Z population, which I broadly define as under the age of 24, or for the boomer population, which I characterise as, as over the age of sort of 57, 58. Um, and what we need to know about both of those populations is they're currently underserved, going to grow in terms of their influence on the economy. And they want to challenge the way in which things are done. So very quickly, the Gen Z population in the book, we called it, we've hit them with the toxic alphabet. You realise I haven't brought you on just to plug your book? <laughs> Bear with me. Toxic alphabet. We've hit them with austerity, Brexit, COVID, debt and the environment. So if we tell them to enjoy this sport, what are you going to think? Actually, I think I'll, I'll make my own decisions. Thank you very much. So that's that population. Think very differently about sports. Couldn't give a monkeys whether it's FIFA, Fortnite or anything else as long as it's fun and they can enjoy the play. And the boomer population for whom it was only really this girl can who started to rethink the fact that if you're over 60, you don't have to play old people's sports. My mum's 72 and currently doing a Strava marathon with four of her mates. And it's amazing if you think that one of the things that's grown biggest over the COVID period is, is walking football for women. Um, and when those women in boomer populations were playing football, who originally wanted to play football in schools, it was banned from women. So the point of contest of, of, that I would leave you with is, is we shouldn't bother trying to create more stuff for an oversaturated demographic that sat in this room and sat probably listening to the podcast. Um, there's those two populations that are slightly different. That's where the money lies. Okay, so we've got young people and old people. Richard Ayres. Hello. Where do you fall in that? Are you a Gen Z or are you a boomer? <laughs> or you're, you're like a sort of, you're like a, a Venn diagram of both of those categories. I, I think you'll find I'm timeless. <laughs> like a godlike figure. You've been um, talking about the future for about 25 years now, and uh, it doesn't appear to have arrived. But let's let's... What do you think of Matt Singh? So just, what, first of all, what's your favourite, of the moment, what's your favourite sort of sports property, your, the new property in town? Well, the risk is that I'm going to talk about the new thing I started. Which no, I, you're I, not allowed to do that. No, okay. Well, I'll just say rematch is the answer. Um, but uh, to Matt's point, the, I mean, the reason why I, I have put time and money and, and backing into rematch is because it's immersive experiences, for the, which is what the young want, because fundamentally he's, he's quite right in saying that you want to be in it. 
we've spent so long saying, hey, there's this incredible uh, sporting endeavor going on here. But what you're going to do is you're going to sit in the stands or even worse, you're going to sit on TV and you're going to watch some people. Of course, the youth of today want to be involved. They want to have some agency. They want to do a thing. That's why the games industry is 160 billion and the film industry is 40 billion because games get you in it. You're doing it. You're engaged, right? Of course they're doing it. It doesn't matter. Mobile phone games, PlayStation, whatever. So, you know, give them the chance to be part of the team, to be part of the journey. And, you know, and likewise, the boomers are the same as well. The boomers are not my parents who are 86, you know, who, who don't go to stuff. They're my wife's parents who are in their mid-70s who do. They go into gigs all the time because they're still doing that. So that ability to immerse yourself one way or the other, forget rematch for a minute, just the ability to be able to immerse yourself is what they want to be able to do. So you've got to be able to have agency, you've got to play it, you've got to do it, you've got to be able to go to it. Now that go to it could be virtually or augmented and I, you know, augmented today, virtual tomorrow, fine. So you know, we all know there's a three to five year timeline when that's gonna come, tr come through. Um, but, but physical experience or, oh God, am I gonna say digital? I'm not gonna say digital because it's physical digital. Actually, just horrible. before you say that, um, I should just say, yeah. Sean has got a uh, whiteboard over here. And yeah. He's got, he's got a, har he's, he's got do, a Harpo yeah. Marks, uh, um, <laughs> so that's a Gen Z reference. Um, and he's going to write down terms that are currently used in the sports business quite, oh. quite regularly. So we've got a grid here. Can't believe it. And at the end, one. he's going to sort of create an NFT of it because <laughs> essentially, and he knows how to do that. He, there's nothing more <laughs> Sean likes than a sort of, you know, the decentralized internet. He just can't get enough of it. Um, so talk to him in depth about that topic later if you need to understand that on a fundamental level. Sorry. So <laughs> digital. And we had engagement whilst, and we had immersive. on NFTs, I'll go, I mean, I will throw in there. And NFTs. Yeah, so we've got, got a few NFTs. there to get us going. The, the, the answer to that, right, so, and whenever anybody goes all sceptical about NFTs, right, just remember the early days of the web. And remember the Mosaic browser. Anybody remember the Mosaic browser? Remember the AOL portal? Remember the Netscape browser, right? <clears throat> all that you're seeing currently with Bitcoin and Ethereum and the use of NFTs specifically is just the early days of a transformative technology. Give it five years, people will sort out what it is. And then in five years' time, a whole bunch of people will be going, oh shit, I really should have got into it five years ago. Just, just like they did with all those other things, they'll be slow to catch up. Some people won't be. Some people will be going, all right, I learned from the web 1.0 and this time I'm going to play and I'm going to learn. Just like the NBA did with the NBA Top Shot. That's why the, you know, UEFA and lots of other federations stood around going, oh, hold on, how come they're making loads of money? Like, what, what, where did that come from? And the answer is the NBA were ahead of it. They started playing and dabbling. So you know, if we're going to build a thing that's worth a billion dollars, get up, get up front, play with stuff. So you're, you're all about the sort of move fast, break things, fail fast. You, yep. If you want to fail fast, by the way, me and Sean, get us in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can fuck you up by lunchtime. Um, Michael Broughton, you speak pure private equity money i want you to be our person that is going to then basically what do we say to investors bear in mind we want to get rich as quickly as we can what's the best route what can we do well, how do we position this to take this to the money markets i'm, I'm quite comfortable being the asshole in the room on this one I've, I've presented myself as the devil incarnate at presentations before um having done alcohol cigarettes and finance i'm i'm getting through them all um need good people you need a large, um, I hate it, another one, TAM, uh, total addressable market. So to me, it should be mixed. It should be male and female. Um, you probably want to go with the youth market because if you're selling it to investors, they're going to see the growth in the future. Um, you don't want to ignore the boomers, but if you're selling it to an investor, where's the future? Um, no downside. 
First rule of investing by Warren Buffett, don't lose your money, so let's have a closed league, whatever we come up with. I don't want this promotion relegation BS. If I can get $800 million for an MLS franchise right now, let's be smart if we're just here to make some money. Do you think the MLS franchise is worth that, you think? Well, I think if you look at the macros of who's playing what sports in the US, yes. And I think that comes back to something they've both said, which is I hate the phrase fan engagement. It drives me nuts. Completely drives me nuts. It should all be about involvement, where there's greater involvement, and that can be in the digital or the physical sphere. I'm going to stay away from that acronym. Then I think you're golden. And I think, so to me, I can see this being almost mixed reality. Again, you're going to be hitting all these lovely acronyms that an investor But they want to hear say. that, don't they? The, 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 the money yeah, people, they the want curve? to hear those acronyms. If you're creating something new, where's the curve? How, how can I make money? So if it can play in the digital space, is it? I hate the unit economics of esports at the moment, but I can see why you'd have an element of it involved because there's a generation that's how they want to be involved in sport is playing with it digitally rather than physically. And are people making money from esports? I'm all for esports, and we've got Alex Inglot coming out, who's a CSGO, CSO Go professional league or whatever he is, but he's going to tell us about it. But is there money in it, or is it just? I hear a lot of people investing in. I don't hear many exits. So if you got in early, absolutely, you're making money because you've had up, up rounds, right? And they keep going up. So as far as I'm concerned, the objective here, make money fast and get the hell out. So the other thing I'd be looking for, particularly as an, as an investor here is, I think about it a bit like JP Morgan with um, our favorite subject, the ESL. I'd love to do a high interest loan convertible into equity. So my, again, my downside's guaranteed. I'm getting eight to 12% as preferred equity effectively. And if it does really well, I'll make sure I keep the equity and don't worry about the, and if it doesn't, I'll take my money out in the interest and the down payment. Thank that's you a, very much. That's a really interesting point, because to be fair, it's not the best start in terms of you guys walking away with your billions of pounds to think about how we can borrow money and give some equity away before we've got a thing. So, so we've got to build something before we sell it. Yeah. Oh. That sounds like a lot of hard work. You know, you've been selling dreams all your life, mate, but at some point you've got to get tangible on this. You just have to be able to so build something that's got enough uh, opportunity and hope and scalability and hits the right audiences. And you don't have to have built an entire property that completely 100% works and is last for years and years and years and years. You just be able, have to be able to show that opportunity at the beginning. So you need a pilot. You need, you need something that's going to that clicks immediately and then. We need a, we need a, a roadmap to success. <laughs> what's the sports property you most admire what's the sports property you think is on the right track here to me everything the guys have said like drone racing league every day of the week it's physical in terms of it starts in schools then morphs into a digital experience that has an e-gaming component then turns into a professional entity that's then broadcast and they own the whole supply chain it's completely autocratic um, the cost of labour is is kids coming out of Twitch as opposed to high style athletes it's perfect and it's worth hundreds of millions of pounds already. And just finally, before we switch groups, that, that idea of owning the whole supply chain. It's the only way it can work to crack through all the governance And is that what the ECB are doing? The 100 is the best example of, of change, iteration, doing stuff quickly, sure offending a few people because you've got to make it change and a mixed gender sport. Centralised control at the beginning, great. And then you can sell the franchises of whatever it is you want later on. But sell that as the dream to somebody else. Yes, which means you need a leadership team that's really experienced. I mean, like any startup in .com, you need a really experienced, uh, broad-minded and fast-moving and fundamentally autocratic. You can't be doing with any of this stakeholder engagement, blah, 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 blah. Like you've got to move. You have to be able to move quick.
Okay, right. Thank you very much. Off you go. We're going to switch. Switch. I think you're staying here because we're talking about marketing. So we've got up on stage Giles Morgan and Gary Link. Well, let's have a round of applause for those these guys. So this is so this is Giles's pirate shtick, by the way. I don't know if you've sort of come across this. Is uh, you might have heard his podcast. It's very entertaining. It's it's former HSBC endorsees talk to Giles because they feel morally obliged <laughs> and 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 pirates and it's you know it's very good I give it a listen Gary Link we need to go to us to the sponsor community I love the word community can we let's have that on there and you're my nose my eyes and ears into the early categories so you were very quick to Deliveroo and very quick to uh, that market that home delivery I'm not saying that's all you've done, yeah. but that's... Uh, that's More us. Yep. Where should we be looking? Who's go, who can we sell this to as okay. a sponsor? I think there's a lot of people that basically say the obvious ones in terms of fintech is, is massive. We've been speaking about, um, obviously, NFTs and blockchain, everything like that. Um, IT, construction industry... Um, the team viewer uh, deal with Manu just sort of showed how a, a big B2B global company would come in. But um, you know, one thing I'd like to say is that I always see sponsorship as part of the marketing mix and sponsorship follows. So for example, the next five years, we don't know what's ahead of us. Um, when COVID struck, we now get brands like Dettol and Lifebuoy. And so whatever's going to happen in terms of the human race, how we're going to evolve in terms of um, in terms of health, especially in terms of hygiene, that is just one to watch. Because what we do is we the sponsorship marketplace reacts uh, to whatever is the human population is consuming and especially in terms of um, what the needs of that population are. So, Giles, what's our story? You spent this HSBC money. And then you, you're out there, you've had a Damascene data conversion along the road to the future. What's our story for this product? What would you advise us? Well, the reason I've been banging on about data, and you can probably put that in your thing, is that it, it's simply the way to explain to a sponsor how that they can get closer to customers that they want to get them to spend money. It used to be an assumptive game. You put the logo up there, you hope people might buy. The next stage is, which can be demonstrably proved, which is to say they are buying your product. And all sponsors are trying to do is flog more stuff. That, that is it. And the bigger the budget is entirely derived by the proof that you have sold more. So for me, it's really, it's really exciting with this billion-dollar thing you're trying to do. Yeah. Is it what sponsors... You haven't got a cut, by the way. You're just, you're just a service I, provider. I understand that, just on yeah. a fee basis. I yeah. know, nothing changes. Um, but I... It, for me, the whole sponsorship industry has changed for the good. I'm such, a, I'm such a bull on sponsorship now because in the olden days, the way I used to get a budget was, oh, it looks nice, and I'm sure that the golf audience, or whatever it is, I'm sure they're doing business with the bank. Difference is now they are doing business with the bank if they're doing it properly. So with the right property to your point about this, which is engaging the right audience, whatever it is, whatever we've, you've decided is going to be the right segment, let's sell it hard. And the sponsor that wants to be involved in that is going to sell their product more. So if we're going for the, what Matt's saying of a, a younger audience, okay, that's really interesting. Let's go hard at them. What does that mean, go hard at them? What would we do? 
Well, if you think about the Stuck storm that I described earlier on in terms of the hand they've been dealt at the moment, the first thing we've got to do is let them um, drive their own ownership of the property, right? So what you can't do is say, we've built this, it's fantastic, you should consume it like this. So somehow you've got to create that iterative product development and two-way dialogue in terms of what it is you're building in a way that something like a apparel product for that demographic, like a gym shark's done very well. Think about a sport, inverted commas, like a parkour or a FIFA. It's a community where the product development's done by the audience. And that's going to make it really hard to manage, but it's completely fundamental. It's really interesting what you say the words earlier, immersion. Immersion is important for, for the property, for the audience, but that's what sponsors want. Yeah. They want to feel that they are immersed in the whole experience that then creates the relationship. Because you've got no right as a sponsor really to be there unless you are there to enhance the, the, the whole development. So immersion is, the, is probably the key word to all of this. Betting. One of the, the questions I'm going to ask one of the panels later on is what betting does to a sport and can you put it at the centre? But one of the sponsorship conversations is, and this is why you guys, what happens to the betting money if they are now not allowed or are going to be banned from shirts or around media or whatever? Where does that money go? Great question. Um, Thank you. Premier League, Championship clubs, thinking exactly the same. And I think the money is never going to be replaced on a like-for-like basis. I think it's been a unique category. The fit between betting and especially football is um, com- you know, completely tangible. There's never going to be anything like it in terms of, again, what um, you know, people like Giles will say is what has to get better is how the rights owners effectively put their proposals out and their interest in in terms of what the partnerships they want to exploit and just get better at it in terms of in terms of data and obviously two circles were a big part of that and the money will slowly you know will slowly come back by the enhancement of the properties and by um, being better in terms of giving brand solutions and that's what yeah, Giles alluded to. With respect, you're, get, you're getting lost in your own echo chamber a bit because you're talking about betting as though that's something that the audience, Gen Z's necessarily going to want to be a part of. Yeah. They've got as far as gamification. If you look at how FIFA's been built, you can monetize that different ways, like a, a quid for a fancy league conversion or something. But, but we're making an assumption that a new generation is going to use betting as, a, as, a, as part of how they consume sport. I'm not sure I'd buy that, actually. It's a really good point. However... Is gamification, if you talk to people like Sport Radar, gamification, fantasy, these are all gateway drugs to betting. And they've got a, you know, if you look in the States, that, so the role of, again, if we're being completely amoral, we're taking our Gen Z audience and training them to be betters for later in life. That's one way of framing it from, a, from the betting perspective. Okay, if you keep your total lack of morals, I would still contest that a generation that generation are, are not going to necessarily fall into the same traps that we did in our, in our age groups. Um, firstly, total lack of disposable income for the foreseeable future. Uh, and secondly, just a different view of social purpose and ethics and morals than our fairly crooked generation have. So I'm not sure they'll fall into other vices. I'm not sure they're going to fall into that one. Do you not think it's a bit like the sort of Premier League season ticket argument that don't, do, do young people grow vices as they get older do they, when they, when they can afford to bet they will bet or once there's no in terms of this gaming generation what they're going to be like when they're my age 
are they, you know, they're going to have different vices probably, but there will still be vices to be exploited. Presumably. Probably. If you ask me, do I think they're going to be addicted to alcohol, betting or endorphins? I'd say the third of those. Mm. I'm going to be a bit more controversial in that effectively in terms of the betting market and why the sponsorships, um, you know, are so attracted to them are to attract the big gamblers. You know, there's no, that's why the Asian betting market and other territories have um, gone into the Premier League. So yes, betting might as a pastime be reduced. Um, there'll be more peer-to-peer betting, you know, in terms of DraftKings and uh, daily fantasy game. Um, people like to bet with friends and, and challenge their friends. And we can do that seamlessly now, you know, on a phone. Um, and I think um, the betting companies are after the, you know, the high net rollers. And unfortunately, they'll always exist, even though there might be less of them. So just to move from betting to the other category, I'm just trying to sort of find the thread because what you then said there is Gens don't have any money. So from a short term perspective, I'm all for grooming these people and waiting till they've got money. But the Bernie Eccleston argument was always they ain't got enough money to buy Rolex watches, so let's not worry too much about them. But the difference is exactly what Giles was saying, which is, you know, you, you can now tell because you have 5, 10, 15, 25 years of longitudinal behaviour, how people, the value of somebody to a, to a brand or to a betting company or whatever it might be. So even though this individual... Um, has spent a quid, 10 quid, whatever it is, over the course of the last three years. I can tell you their lifetime values 200, 300, 400 times that, and that's what you trade on, and that's your sell to. So you, it's a lifetime value argument to both sponsors, and it's a lifetime value argument and retained earnings argument to a funder. And also from a marketing point of view, by having that information about lifetime value of what a fan is doing, a smart marketer will go, well, if we want to increase that exponentially, we'll push, because we know what they're doing, Therefore, we can get them to spend more because we know what they're doing. I mean, for all my life, the Welsh Rugby Union, so I'm a, I'm a Welsh rugby fan, but I've never lived in Wales, but that's my passion. They've never, ever... No, you don't been, sound Welsh, to be honest. No, I, you know, we own most of the country. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what pirates do. <laughs> um, but but it, for me, the, the, the disconnect between something I'm genuinely passionate about and would spend more money, and that's the opportunity... But there's the, the siloed effect, which is why your, your big idea is exciting, is I'm in a um, purchasing position right now, so looking at things to buy in terms of sponsorship. Podcast uh, series, that sort of thing? That kind of thing, you know, flog what I can. No, genuinely buying something now. And what's really interesting is you go to rights holders and say, do you know your customer base? Just a very simple question. And the data story, which two circles have been absolutely one of the main architects of starting that story, is more and more rights holders are kind of putting their hand up, going, maybe not as well as we should. Because if you do, that you've got something for the sponsor to really buy. I use an example. Back in the old days when I worked for, for HSBC, the two big um, English red clubs used to come to us every single year and say, please sponsor us. We're red. So are you. And... <laughs> We took a position which was, well, football is probably not quite right for HSBC, Global Bank, blah, blah, blah. And so we don't need to do it. And that kind of was enough. If the conversation was now is we've got known 10 million fans in tier one cities in China, say, age range 25 to 45, and we know who these people are, to a company like an HSBC or BMW or whoever it is, that is huge. 
because that is the, that's the transaction. They want to be talking to those people in their passion. What I like about that anecdote is that there are two red-shirted big teams and Arsenal presumably is not one of them. <laughs> it wasn't Arsenal. It wasn't Arsenal. It wasn't Arsenal. Right, excellent. That's made my day, actually. We could all pack up and go home. Last point before we move on to the next panel. And it's about the data thing. I get it and I get intellectually. I understand that if I know more about them and I can reach them and serve them and blah, blah, blah. There's a couple of things. One is that the fangs have all the data. So how do you get around that wall garden? But the other one is the media cell of sport, the big cell, the big funnel cell. This is about we're big and famous. It's a huge power signal. And look at us, we're a massive bank, which is what HSBC did for many years, and still does. That is very valuable. And my concern, going back to my and Sean's sports rights sort of property, is that by getting very granular, I lose the value of the big message. I want a big media, untraceable piece of research which says there are billions of people in China who are, you know, going to be watching and, and engaging. But I don't want too much evidence of that because you might then say, right, actually, well, it's not worth that. I, we bought into the goal, but actually Rogan and his mates have brought the value of my rights all the way down. Is that well, I would it? say it's belts and braces It would be my point, which is you've, you need the big funnel, which is the big ticket item that says billions of people watch. Okay. But then what I really want to know is the granularity to say, okay, but I want to know what the super fans. But if there are enough people, let's call them stupid sponsors, up there that will say, look, let's buy just the big idea and we just a, we're a crypto brand and we're going to just, we need credibility, we need trust, no one likes us, put us on a shirt and at least we exist in people's imagination. Yeah, but I don't think that's how sponsors really buy because remember the person who's in charge of sponsorship has to go into the business and ask the finance team for that money. And if you make a business case, you will get more money rather than going, please just go along with my big dream idea. I'm sure it's going to work. That works to a level. But if you really want to get the big bucks, you've got to make the business case. And that's why the granularity, along with the big funnel, is the dual combination that's required. Okay, big funnel. Um, okay, let's thank you guys. Off you go. Next panel. Yeah, round of applause. Murray Barnett, Sophie Hind, Alex Inglet. This is going to be, we're going to just talk about media for a moment. We have to, and I can tell you already, Sean, we're going to have uh, OTT. Might as well write that down already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, never, that never gets old, that horn, as uh, the actress said. Um, the, Murray, you better kick us off here. I'm thinking we've got two alternatives to this property. We've identified sort of an audience, and are we going to go, is it a big ticket media, NFL, billions straight away, uh, media rights deal with a bundled TV dinosaur, or is it a very clever D2C OTT solution, which sounds like a lot of work and less money, but paint a picture for me of the, uh, the landscape. Well, I don't think it's either or. I mean, I think that it's just the whole media mix has got so much more complicated. And so you actually need both. And if you look at somebody like Formula One, they have a great deal with ESPN in the US, but they're also able to exploit F1 TV simultaneously for cord cutters and for people that want to consume content in a different way. I think the important thing is that you, you know, excuse the expression, but you know, you fish where the fish are, right? So... <laughs> 
there are you know my my 14 year old son is never going to buy a sky subscription right he's going to want to watch pay-per-view or he's going to want to watch highlights uh, short form content uh, he's going to watch very differently to how somebody of my age watches sport and so you actually need to make sure that you're servicing all of those different audiences in all of those different ways and you can then even segment it further by saying just because he's 14 in the 14 to 25 year olds they'll be 10 different types of viewing habit that people have. Are they watching for leisure? Are they watching for betting? Are they watching for stats? Are they watching just because they're a fan of the sport? And all of that means you need to cut the, the, cut the media rights and the media uh, deliverables in a very different way. Was the answer to that then? It's yes, complicated. We ne- yes, we need an OTT or do we... Is, so let's go, let's go big ticket. Let's say, right, we're, if, you, if you talk about who we're disrupting we could say right we're going to go after we're a premier golf league or an xfl that's going after the nfl you've got people that are going after you know the super league it's going to take over european football big idea in a, in a mainstream sport ipl that market still exists at that level does it in terms of okay i'm going to take that murray you're off you're our rights guy you're going to go and sell this to the to the to espn and sky the checks are still available for that sort of thing for the big ticket items, the checks are available. In the, in the Generally in the media market, what's happening is that the rich are getting richer and the poor have got nowhere left to go, right? So, you know, there used to be this great middle ground where you have things like ATP tennis and so on and athletics that could get decent amount of money and all everybody's doing is doubling down now on the big rights. And, you know, even DAZN have kind of come out and said that. Kevin Mayer came out saying, look, or was it Mayer or was it Skipper came out saying there is no market for second tier rights, basically. And that's very true, which forces you down a direct-to-consumer route. But in any event, for a whole variety of reasons, every sports organization needs to have a direct-to-consumer strategy, and media is a massive part of that. So it's a long-winded way of saying you absolutely need to have some kind of direct-to-consumer media approach where it helps you to understand better your audience, and you have, and I think this is another honk, is first-party data. FPD. The middle market then is where, to, where we want to avoid. And what do you do if you're in that middle market? What's the, is it just shit? Or is, it, what, is there a route out of this? Well, I think it goes back a little bit to what the previous guests were saying. You know, both Giles and, and Matt especially know very well that the more data you have on fans, the more able you are to monetize them, right? So even if it ends up being quite a small group of fans, the more that you understand about them, the higher potential value they have to the broad spectrum of commercial partners, be them sponsors, be them merchandising, whatever else it is. So just because you're a relatively small sport doesn't necessarily mean that there's not a lot of money to be made. It's about the more you understand the leverage of the information that you have about those constituents that you're able to then convert that into real revenue. And before we move on, buzzer. I've been told I should know about this. I know what it is roughly, but just why is this gaining people's interest and the excitement? I mean, I think Buzz is very cool, and I'm I'm not paid by Buzz, I just think that they're very, um, it's a very interesting idea, which is effectively the ability to have short-form content which you can access on demand. So simply put, they'll send a push notification to you saying, it's a thrilling NBA game. It's down to the last five minutes. Do you want to? Do you want to watch now? And if you're an NBA subscriber, it automatically takes you through to your subscription because you've put in all of your credentials into the app already. If you're not, it's saying, "Do you want to watch it now for a dollar?" 
And I think that that is, that is the viewing habit of the future. And then there's a few other applications about, which not necessarily Buzzard are doing, but there's another company called Recast that I wrote about recently that is also doing some interesting stuff where when you share that, that thing saying, do you want to watch that clip now? you actually benefit if your friends watch it. So it's effectively a traditional, you know, referral scheme where you, you get some economic value for having shared content with your friends. Okay. So at eSports, first of all, what is your job? I've got two jobs. I'm on the board of the ATP, and that's the kind of old traditional hat, and then I'm the commissioner of the eSports Pro League, ESL Pro League and CSGO. You, you nearly had it in the original intro. I know. I, I sort of just said every eSport word I could think of. <laughs> Surely your job title must contain some of them, and we'll, we'll sort of delete as necessary. When the conversation goes from how Murray's framing the media market into eSport, because it seems to me that there's, there's a different dynamic. Just what is the difference, basically? I, th I think the, the, the key, uh, when, I talk, when, I, when I put my traditional hat on, I think about big media and I think about OTT. When I go to eSports, I think a little bit more about the words that were used earlier, which is about immersion. So you're looking at Twitch and you're looking at streamers, which are two different dynamics. So with Twitch, what you've got is a level of engagement in the viewing experience, so to speak, that is just almost unparalleled in what traditional sports are comfortable with. You've got people who are, you've got chats, you've got fan tokens, you've got exchanges going on. The engagement is, as I think Giles or someone mentioned, it's gone from engagement to involvement. And that's really where esports has been kind of pushing. Because it started off in quite a, a rudimentary way, it had to offer that kind of level of commitment and level of involvement. So you've got Twitch where in, in nowadays on esports, you've got one trillion minutes of esports being watched a year on Twitch, but it's not just being watched, it's being like there's chats. And so when we talk about uh, D2C and OTT, does that, let, that, does that give you a deeper engage, understanding of your fan? Yes. But if you can see what they're talking about, what they're referencing, what memes they're using, that is just even richer level of data for a sponsor or for any other company to understand how do I speak to these guys because I've got more reference points. So the Twitch is a big I think the next level to your traditional traditional OTT, if you can talk and about it. Are they buying rights, Twitch? Yes, they are. Uh, I mean, they've, they've been in the, they originally started in the competitive gaming, or, well, it was amateur gaming, just you could watch other people who were good. Then it became the home of esports. Now it's kind of the home of streamers, and streamers is what I was talking about, where you've got, I think, uh, the way a traditional sport would look at it is almost like shoulder content. Like, you've got the main event, and you've got side content around that streamers have taken that to a whole nother level where they are an they are an entertainment program entertainment product loosely linked to the game that kind of they are anchored in so you've got someone like nick Merckx, who's part of phase clan purely on subscriptions to his twitch he makes 1.5 million dollars a year that's before he talks about why are we even bothering having this conversation why don't we go and do that talk to nick um but uh you know that's not even his that's not even his sponsorship deal that's not even uh, anything, any any of these other revenues he gets on on the top of that, and so he, someone like um, people will know probably Ninja, who's a famous Fortnite. He's got 17 million viewers, subscribers. Uh, the female demographic is quite represented in this space as well. They have street, a very rich streamer community. Pokimane, who's the, probably the top female streamer, eight million um, subscribers. That's a huge amount of revenue straight off the top, and they are creating content in and around the original sport if we want to call it and that. these are gamers who have then become streamers some some of them are some of them are fantastic competitive players and that people follow them because they are 
they are the premium players some of them are very good but the their charisma and their kind of they're it's it's almost like you know someone who's very good at the sport but has a kind of a charisma like a tv presenter on top and people are watching hours of this every day i worked for a while on otro which you'll have heard of you know which was the sort of footballers beckham messi had all these enormous um, names and they, they tried to create a sort of media platform for it and it didn't work frankly and one of the problems was is that the footballers are not they're not content creators in yeah. the same way so this idea that you're going to grow a presence in the same way they underestimated actually how hard it is to get someone it's, it was you know we had it was sort of eden hazard takes his kids shopping you know it's that <laughs> and you know pay someone in china will pay 6.99 to you know to do it and uh, they didn't but that's, so, that, that's the evolution because you've got teams, esports teams, Team Vitality, uh, Astralis, uh, Liquid in America. These are teams that started off as esports competitive organization and they've bolted on, bolted on tens of streamers on, into their brand. They've bought them. They're, Tim the Tapman, uh, who has millions of followers, was recently acquired by in a, like, almost like a transfer deal to Complexity Brand. And the amount of awareness he brings to himself to his brand and to the to the organization's other t other events and other products that their their competitive team in CS:GO their competitive team in FIFA that kind of virtuous cycle is incredible so now 50% of the revenue if not more from an esports team is now coming from streamers because the eyeballs and the revenues are just so rich just final point on it before we, if you had a million quid to invest and you might do I don't know you look rich but I, I I'm just you know <laughs> Thank you. In eSport world, where would you place the bet today? To the point that was made earlier, closed leagues are attractive because you have avoid the relegation. So there's the Riot leagues, which are attractive because, say, a League of Legends, which is a very global, strong eSport. Then you've got your game, like my game, CSGO, is not a closed franchise league because of the publisher's way of doing business. But actually, we've created a league which is hybrid. It's, some of it is franchise, some of it's not. So you can still sell the pathway to to hero so i think you would choose one of those existing teams I'm, I'm i'm not very pumped about existing traditional sports kind of e-sportifying their product and hoping that that's going to sell through the rooftop I, i'm not sure people are going to watch kind of e-rowing or something along those lines if you want enter your kind of, i know you're trying to get make a lot of money quickly go to the established esports bring in a whole army of streamers and the revenues are just going to just skyrocket well here we go right Sophie, audio feels like the Cinderella of this conversation. What is it? What's the, what's the opportunity? I think you're right. It is the Cinderella. It, the, the opportunity is enormous. Um, to put it into context, in, in the UK, there's 1.3 billion hours of audio listened to every week and about 70 million hours of sport audio every week. Now, we estimate that that sport audio part could be doubled, tripled. And if you take those audio numbers and you look at the US market, it's about three times as much audio listening. If you take it to the world, the opportunity is huge. And yet sports rights holders generally don't have an audio strategy. So for me, I think there's a couple of ways that this new enterprise that we're creating could use audio in a really effective way. Again, uh, just that we're creating it, you're, you're a sorry, yeah, yeah. you're right. But I do want repeat fees Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. because I'm in audio. So there's the kind of personalization element. So if we're looking at this younger audience that we're talking about attracting 
Personalization is really important. Audio plays really nicely into this uh, low attention span. So short form content, data, information. So you, if you're in stadium, I'll give you an in stadium and an in home example. If you're in stadium, imagine you, Richard, are at the Oval watching the 100. I, yeah. I think you were. I was. In fact, and you didn't know what was going on because you're a traditionalist. Uh, however, if you were a young person... None taken. <laughs> you can get me later. <laughs> if you were a young person at the Oval, as many were, watching and really enjoying the game and the spectacle, imagine if you had your digital assistant in your phone, everybody has a phone, and you can call on audio. You can have an audio almost program. So female player walks out. You can hear her talking about herself for 60 seconds, saying, hi, I'm so-and-so, this is what I'm into blah 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 you can get latest stats you can get data so you can get short form audio but you can also use it for e-commerce so you might go actually kp skips are the the shirt sponsor send me a sample of kp skips now or order some to my seat or buy that shirt so in stadium there's all sorts of ways you can get real-time information can be live can be pre-recorded if you're at home and you're watching something um, on amazon again you might be watching PSG playing and you say right add the PSG new third shirt that I'm seeing to my FIFA profile that's what my 14 year old daughter would do I'm sure your 14 year old son probably would as well so you can use it for e-commerce but you can use it for this information you can use the long form content to engage fans you know post event and the beauty of it all of course is it gives you commercial inventory and the price you can charge for audio because it's so immersive particularly podcasts, there's a much higher CPM than for video, which is, you know, three to six seconds well. So it's going to pay for itself and it's going to make you loads of money in terms of inventory and embedding your sponsors. It, it feels like, I mean, we had this conversation before on the podcast and the reason that I, I don't hear anyone else, I don't hear rights holders talking about this. And it feels so, my, my sort of, you know, and not because we've got a podcast to flog, but audio has become a, a, a bit, more central because of Alexa, essentially. And it's in the car and it's everywhere I am. And I can do, that feels inevitable. What you're saying, Murray, it feels like that Sophie is creating rights categories here. And I don't know what, what's, do you, is that, would you agree with that? Are there any, any checks and balances you would put into what she was saying? It feels like, why are they not, why is this not happening? Well, I think Giles touched, touched upon it earlier is that, you know, a lot of rights holders are looking at sponsorships in a very traditional way. And I think this becomes increasingly sponsors are all looking to get different things out of being involved with different properties. And so what do they need to do that? They need different they need different data points, but they also need different sets of rights. So I think audio is that. And, you know, I, I know that some of the rights holders that I've worked with in the past, when you talk to them about audio, you see a little light bulb go off because they definitely see that it's something that should be part of what they're offering, but they don't necessarily quite know how to get there or what it actually really means. And it's just one example of a whole bunch of immersivity that's required in order to get sponsors to part with their cash, along with data and a whole bunch of other things. Just very finally, how far are we from me saying, Alexa, link me to Fanatics, get me a shirt, deliver it tomorrow? Can you? Okay, you that's fine. It's much easier if it's in the Amazon store, but you can do it. Okay, perfect. Right, thank you. Next, next group. Let's go. Right, we have. <laughs> Welcome to the stage, Jane Purden, Nick Howard, and Patrick Massey. A bit of a round of applause for these guys. This is the final group. 
Okay, so we have floated some ideas. We're so you can sort of see an idea emerging, and I'm worried about costs. How can I exploit the athletes, get the big best quality product out there, but for the lowest cost? What can I do to try and mitigate any problems? Jane, talk us through what you've heard the conversation, and I think this is a conversation, although a bit amplified is a conversation that quite a few people have in sport and they're saying right we've got this new idea they get money you've got private equity you've got vc money uh, then it hits real life what is real life like i'm positioning you two as sort of inside sport fixers who are you know talking talking the real game but what what, what did you think what's your are there any alarm bells that are jumping out for you Oh, hell yes. <laughs> um, listen, there was much about that I loved, but I have to say there was much about that I hated. Right. Um, so I think sports and ecosystem, and, and when I heard words like autocratic, um, single ownership of everything, I, I think I, I get it. I understand the rationale behind that, but I would encourage us all to think of some other questions like, what good does sport do? And take that one very seriously and think about that. I loved the bit about Gen Z and the alphabet, and I think that's really real. I think I read something the other day which said, you know, half of young people are reporting mental health problems because they're so worried about the environment. What do we owe them? And what's our pitch to them? And what do they really want? And, and as I understand it, you, those of you who are here, we can perhaps disguise this on the audio... I'm clearly not Gen Z, right? Um, but as I understand it, they're a very values-driven bunch, and they want to see values. They want to see. They want to spend their money on products and services and organisations that that display good values. Um, so that was kind of my starting point from from the the first session. Just like, really, is the sport you're talking about the sport we all know and love? The the ecosystem, I think, is important. You know who. I think when Nick and I were at the Premier League, one of the, the tricks, I think, if you're working at the Premier League, is somehow aligning all the stakeholders and getting them all to agree. And that's the clubs, that's the players, um, that's certainly the commercial partners, the broadcasters, and, and ultimately the, the fans as well. But you asked me about players, and you cannot run this whole thing without respect for the players and giving them voice and giving them fair return I could though couldn't I <laughs> I know I shouldn't it's the same as the, it's the betting question it, it, there is a should bit and then there is I actually could do it and if I look across sport there is a sort of and you know far beyond sport there is a a model which is a bit uber like a bit okay gig economy like where you've got a very small number of people making a lot of money at the top and then you've got a whole load of people who want to be in the pyramid and I'll talk to you about pyramids in a minute but they ain't getting paid much but they're being exploited for their desire their passion for sport and the rest of it and if I am completely amoral I would say well actually well that works for Deliveroo it works for Uber it works for a whole load of others that we can see around the place could work for me but sports a talent a talent industry and relies on sports people of exceptional talent 
no disrespect to Deliveroo drivers, but I would imagine that's something everyone in this room could do. Not everyone in this room could be a Premier League or WSL player, probably hardly any of us. And, and talent is always going to combine value. All I would say to that, Richard, is it is something football tried and, and had to abandon whenever it was the 1960s, had to abandon its, its wage cap and just go free for all. Nick, what do you think? Well, if we're doing it as a sport, I'm, 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 I'm with you. So I'm getting rid of lots of inefficiency. And so what I'm probably heading is much more to the 100 model. So I'm, getting, I'm not bothering with owners. I'm not bothering with... Um, I, I, agree with I, I agree with Jane. Obviously, it's all about talent. So in order for us to, to do this as quickly as possible, basically, it's the bargain with the talent. Um, and I suppose I'm going to minimise the number of people I have to have involved because you want your biggest take. So basically, it's, it's the deal I can strike with the, with the talent and miss out all the rest. And I do think there's a significant lesson uh, from, from the 100 there, if I'm going to do it on the sporty side. Um, the, first, the first session was all about engagement, involvement, you know, participation, all the way through to watching uh, and everything else and betting. And I think, um, and I think that's, a very, that's going to be a very big part of our decision as to where we plonk this product. What's the market? What's the, what's the conditions we're going to do this? And it won't surprise anyone to know I'm going to head to India. Um, uh, and I think a lot of people are telling the story about the sport closest to my heart, which is Kabaddi. And I think you can make a strong case there as you've got an entertainment product there, which is owned by a broadcaster. So actually, I'm going to set you up and say, don't worry about calling yourself a sport. Much more concern yourself with thinking of yourself as an entertainment, which does sport. And your actors, your players, and probably unlike the Pro Kabaddi League, which I think is an amazing success model... It's owned by Star, effectively, substantially. Star and ultimately now Disney. Um, so I think there's a, there's, a, there's a big model for you there. And one of the big arguments there is constantly, why do we have different franchises and different teams? It's a 12-week it's a, you know, product. Put it on. Fantastic. In the context of, to take it back to that first session, an unbelievably easy sport to play, which is now, because now you and Sean are getting global, obviously. You're not just sticking in India. Um, you're getting global and you're thinking actually this is a sport that everyone is every kid is playing already so back to the first session again you know every kid plays it plays kabaddi it's called different things in different countries whether it's bulldogs or tick or tag or it or creature or whatever turn that into something now which is a global movement and you've got your big entertainment thing on the top it all comes into india and the final bit of this is of course i wouldn't let it go without talking about betting yeah another you know another crisscrossing of my um, of my obsessions and I, th I think, you know, getting into that, quote, grey area that exists in not just the Indian economy, but many economies, look at Dream 11, look at fan code, but look at Dream 11, think about that really closely as to what we're going to do. We're going to build that model around the globe as we're building this. What is Dream 11? Dream 11 is a effectively a fantasy game, but, you know, it fantasy taking it, as, as we've talked about before, taking fantasy into, into effectively betting. Um, it's a skill-based game. That's why they're allowed to do it in most of India. Um, it's already a unicorn. You know, so so you know, we, we can't use that as our example, but I would say look at Dream 11 and look at the lesson. And my, and my final one on this would be, I think we can do this by maybe going to the Premier League and saying, well, how much for the fantasy Premier League? So we'll take that. We'll take that product, which, of course, has massive value, but no one's really seeing it at the moment. We'll take that. We'll create our own sport owned but this is going to be your trick Richard and Sean you're going to have to try and convince the sport sporting community that this thing that you own you're actually going to say is really full sport and is really soft and cuddly and uh, you know generating these massive revenues which will be your business 
to take Jane's point in the ecosystem, I think as part of your sell, you are going to have to try and you know, come give, a, give a payment out to people so they'll feel good and support you. Maybe Gary's, Gary's shirts will now no longer carry other betting operators, but they'll carry your your brand um, for this fantastic um, new sport. So what we're doing, we need, we, we, you're talking about the, the thing has a broader purpose. There is a... Oh yeah, I'm now, I'm now playing so into... What, what, I'm, what I'm now, I'm now, you, you described us as the fixers, so I'm now trying to suggest to you that actually you do need to portray yourself. I love it. He as, might get... He might get you know equity. Obviously, 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 I am going. I'm going for the strategic advisor role here. Yeah, yeah. This, By the way, this, uh, this you know, Nick Cowan has. He's he doesn't see an organisation that he doesn't become a chair of. <laughs> he's got that. He's just. He's got. So this is my know, pitch to you for. Yeah, for the, more for chairs than IKEA. So I do. Th- I, I do. Th- I do think that is going to be a big part of your. Okay, we can call it being part. Of, uh, you know, a, a valuable contributor to the ecosystem. Actually, this is going to be a way which you're going to make phenomenal amount of money while giving a bit away to, to sport. And I like that. I like that. Patrick, just bring this together for us, which is a heck of a job because it's been all over the place. <laughs> what did you like about the conversation and what did you dislike? We've got a few questions. I think the first question is around uh, bringing it back to that conversation around uh, Gen Z and boomers. So we spoke a lot about age. I guess for me, a question is, is age really the right lens to be looking through? Um, and if I am a subscriber or I'm a a sponsor or a, a, a media agency, then I think I'm looking for, for new fans who are going to switch to my product who are going to be new consumers for me. And actually, if I'm thinking about being a new fan, then is age the right way to think about it? Is it, is it gender? Is it demographic? Is it geography? So I think that's a big thing that's to That's brilliant. To think that through. is the, a fantastic consultant's answer, <laughs> isn't that's it? why I'm here. I've got quite, yeah. That is just the perfect consultant. I'm in a room... And you're, you're talking and they say, right, you're asking the wrong questions. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then age is, is age the right question? And that, I'm going to steal that and ask that everyone I do on the podcast. Um, because it means I'm now going to have to pay you loads of money to get the answer. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that. Right, next. Um, and I think in there, I think gender for me is a, is a big one. So I think if you look at women overall as an opportunity to grow the fan base of sports, and being a little bit maybe overly moral here, but if I look at it as sport rather than an individual business within sport, I think that's also an, an important angle to look at it from. Um, I think ownership was the other big topic that came up to me. Yeah. Um, I think Michael mentioned it at the beginning, and I think for us to really have a billion dollar idea, we need to own it. Um, but then my question back is, what are we trying to own? Can we really own it? Um, and what's kind of the breadth of ownership that we can have? So I think we can own a league, we can own a club, um, but going back to the conversation on betting, for example, if we really want to drive big revenue, then can we also not just provide betting data, be a sponsor for betting companies, but could we own, own the betting landscape? And I think you look at horse racing in Britain compared to horse racing in Hong Kong, you can see the big differences Another you can gain. Another thing to be chair of. Yeah. <laughs> to really owning that. I think that's a, a big question. And again, another one is, and what, what is the service or product we're offering? Is it, is it the traditional sports team, league, club, whatever it might be? Or actually, is the money to be made in, in being the money? So can we provide money to sports? Can we be that central lender that I think if you do that in the right way, you can drive a lot of benefit for sport, but also make a lot of money off the back of that as well? And what's your day rate? <laughs> <laughs> and I think the final one then is just, is just disruption. I think if you look at sports, it's one that's been... It's, a, it's an industry that probably is unique in how insulated it's been from the whole world around it. And actually, I think the topics around, to, to Jane's point, around human rights, um, around regulation, those things, they're coming to sport soon. 
So I think if we're thinking of an idea, we need to make sure that we're not going to get disrupted by that. That is an extraordinary good summing up. One question I was going to ask, just of the audience, um, we've got about 10 seconds left, is what your favourite new sports property is. Is anyone going to sort of offer up? We've, had, we've talked about the 100, we've talked about uh, the Kabaddi Pro League, we've talked about all sorts of things. Is there anything that we've missed? Anything that we're sort of, we could jump on? Just bung your hand up and we'll, we'll come to you with a mic just very quickly. Maybe just how kind of personalities in sport play. I think the, the thing that got announced this morning, which was Bryson versus Brooks Kepka yeah. doing the match. And just how, you know, for me personally, I, I like golf. Can't remember the last time I watched a European Tour sort of general golf event. I probably will watch that because I've been sucked in. And would you pay pay per view to watch it? De- depends. Maybe a t- maybe like a t- ten quid, ten fifteen quid. But I have just sort of followed that story through really social media, through the sort of the Ryder Cup. And now I saw that this morning and in sort of WhatsApp groups with friends. That's been flying around and everyone's getting really excited about it. Okay, Nick, has he got has that got legs? That idea? It's not going to make you enough money. Um, it, yes, of course, it's got legs and it's entertainment. It'll be it'll be fun to watch, and I'm sure we'll all get excited about it. It'll come and it'll go. Um, but I, you know, it needs we, we need we need greater substance and longevity and um, all the rest of it in order to make our great successful product that's going to get to going to get you. Sorry, I said we. I know get it, you it, to, uh, <laughs> to your billion. Any other questions just before we finish off? I can't see anything from here. So if you're we're all quiet, don't, well, I'm not going to beg for questions. Was oh, I going at the back? I don't like begging for questions. It's one of those sort of un- things that conference moderators do which is yes please don't beg Richard um, I was going to suggest another sport sale GP are you aligned in any way are you paid by sale GP or are you we, we, we may have been <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's genuinely interesting from a sustainability point of view and is it making money I, I don't know that indirectly uh, related rather than uh, in the uh, in the cockpit okay right thank you for that we're going to round off so my timer is up and I think we sort of, you know, I'm vaguely happy with that, Sean. What do you think? I'm, I'm, I've, yes, lovely. I, we were talking before, I need a role for Sean, just generally in life, but also, you know, within the, the hour of the, uh, the uh, conversation. Listen, I, it was very enjoyable from my point of view. There's so many different ideas. But one of the things that I'm struck by, as you sort of talk to people twice a week on a, on a podcast, is that there are so many different agendas in sport. And I can see, although we took a comedy, a moral stance here, there are, I, I do think that actually some of the stuff that, and some of the conversations that we had probably are relevant. So anyway, we will cut that into a podcast. It'll appear on Friday, fingers crossed. I really want to thank the 12 people for, for coming on and being part of it, being part of the joke. And I really want to thank the audience for, for turning up. So can we have a final round of applause just to make sure that everyone's there? James Emmett, I'm handing back to you. Thank you very much indeed. And actually, can we have a final round of applause for Richard Gillis for pulling all of this together? An extraordinary work. We've got a, uh, a billion dollar idea here or just 60 minutes of barely lucid waffle. We will decide on Friday when the podcast comes out. Uh, very quickly, before we uh, let you go, just a word of thanks to Grabio, who are uh, sponsoring us at this stage today. Charlie Pritchard is in the room somewhere, and uh, Grabio doing demos of their fantastic uh, technology. They're partners for a reason, guys. They're brilliant broadcast production technology people. So grab him and Grabio. Some time with them and some lunch now. There you go. <laughs>